Four Catechumens in the Orthodox Church. Three Homilies by Metropolitan Augustinos of Florina. The Catechumens. We spoke in a previous homily, dear friends, about holy preaching. Now in these final chapters on the Divine Liturgy, we will talk about the catechumens, what a catechumen is, and if catechumens exist in the Church today. As we said before, after Pentecost, the apostles who had received the Holy Spirit and were furnished with divine power went about preaching. The world was ignorant of the true God at this time. Idolatry prevailed everywhere. There were idols everywhere. There were diviners and idolatrous priests everywhere. Passion and evil had been rooted in society for centuries. Fulfilling the command of Christ, the apostles preached in this world. They walked in the footsteps of Christ. Just as he planted the word of God in the hearts of thousands of people, so also the apostles, like sowers, laid the seed of divine teaching of Christ everywhere. You remember the parable of the sower? The seeds which the sower planted in the ground did not all fare the same way. Three quarters of all seeds were lost, because they were not planted in suitable soil. They did not grow. Only a quarter of all the seeds, those that fell on good soil, produced fruit. It was the same way with the word of God which the apostles sowed. It did not have the same effect everywhere. There were cities in which the seed could not bear as much fruit as was wanted. Opposition was terrible. But the remarkable thing is that even in these cities, which did not accept the preaching of the gospel, there were still souls who heard and believed in Christ. These few became the nuclei of the first churches, the yeast which fell in the pagan world and would later contribute to the fundamental transformation. Patience and persistence were needed to preach. The church did not give up if she failed the first time. She continued preaching, and if she did not succeed the first time, she did the next. Ancient Athens is an example. Its entire population worshipped idols. It was full of idols. To this city came no ordinary preacher of the gospel, but a renowned one, a favorite among the apostles, Paul. The Athenians, influenced as they were by the philosophic concepts of the time, reacted Few believed. These few were the church. Did they remain only a small number? Certainly not. Little by little, they multiplied, and there came to be more Christians than idolaters. And after much hard work through the centuries, the entire city became Christian, and not one idolater remained in this once pagan capital. The first Christians considered it their sacred duty to convert others to the Christian faith, Through their simple preaching, and for the most part, through their holy way of life, they attracted idol worshippers. And when the idolaters expressed their desire to become Christians, the Christians would bring them to the bishop. The bishop did not baptize them immediately, but he or designated priests undertook their instruction, catechism, teaching them what they ought to believe and do as Christians. This instruction usually lasted three years. The ancient church was in no rush to get members in a careless way just to increase its numbers, but was interested in having active members, true Christians, who had knowledge of their sacred mission. Quality, not quantity, was of more interest to the ancient church. 
Saint John Chrysostom used to say it was preferable to have a few real Christians than a multitude of nominal ones who live more as idolaters than as Christians. The catechumens were permitted to attend church, to stand in a designated place, and attend a part of the divine liturgy, but not all of it. They stayed in church, prayed with others, listened to the readings and preaching, and after the deacon said the ectenes and the other special petitions for the catechumens, he called them to leave the church. Only when they had all left would the divine liturgy continue, and because only the faithful attended it, it was called the liturgy of the faithful. In the ancient church, not only the catechumens were obliged to leave, but others as well. Those who were baptized and registered in the books of the church as faithful, but after baptism had not watched their way of life and had fallen into certain sins, which became known to the community and scandalized the people. Fornicators, adulterers, thieves, unjust and greedy people, gossips, blasphemers, those who denied the faith, criminals and murderers had no place in the church. Those who sincerely repented were later allowed to stand with the catechumens in church to attend the divine liturgy until the preaching was done when they were obliged to leave. The church in the time of her glory was a vigilant guardian of the faith and of morals. She was gentle and compassionate to those who sincerely repented, but severe to those who committed heinous sins and did not show sincere and appropriate repentance. Among these were individuals of high estate, whom the whole world held in awe and fear. She closed out generals, kings, and emperors, and would only allow them entry to attend the divine liturgy if they showed true repentance, like that of David. The ancient church most certainly did these things, but what is our modern-day church doing? Unfortunately, she leaves her doors open, and anyone can walk in and attend the divine liturgy without exception. Individuals who have committed horrible sins, who have scandalized the people, who do not believe in anything the church teaches, but speak disrespectfully and blaspheme. Many are attached to error, heresy, and anti-Christian organizations. Our church has become like the unprotected vineyard. The fault rests with us, the bishops, who will not imitate the example of the holy fathers and teachers of the church. Let us hope that new days will come to our church, when she will again be like she was in the ancient days of her glory. For the Catechumens In our previous homily, we spoke about the catechumens, namely, those who were not yet Christians but had belonged to other religions and then expressed a desire to espouse the Christian faith. The Church did not receive them immediately by baptism. She had them attend lessons about the Christian faith, and after making sure their desire was sincere and their decision to follow Christ was steadfast, they were received by baptism. The ancient church held catechism to be of great importance. She was interested more in quality than in quantity. A few faithful, dedicated to Christ, were worth much more than hundreds and thousands of people called Christians who did not lead a Christian life. Just as it is impossible to keep an army in fighting condition with soldiers who are never properly trained, so too the living and free church the militant, which is conquering and triumphing cannot exist if all those who want to be Christians are not first instructed in the sacred weapons of the faith.
Untrained Christians are worthless, and nothing noble and important can ever be expected from them. Because the ancient church used to instruct her members systematically before baptism, many heroes of the faith, confessors and martyrs, come out of these ranks of catechumens. Those who were in their period of instruction, catechism, as we have said, were able to be in church during the divine liturgy up to the reading of the Holy Gospel. This part of the liturgy which the catechumens attended was called the Liturgy of the Catechumens, and before the catechumens left, the church would pray for them. The deacon says, Let the faithful for the catechumens pray to the Lord. And what are those things the faithful are called on to pray? The petition itself tells us that the Lord show them mercy, instruct them in the word of the truth, reveal to them the gospel of righteousness, unite them with his holy Catholic and apostolic church. As you can see, in this petition, the faithful are asking the Lord to have mercy on the catechumens, next to instruct them in the word of truth, then to reveal to them the gospel of righteousness, and last, to unite them to his holy Catholic and apostolic church. These four petitions are very important. They show the church's great interest in the catechumens, because catechumens still exist in the church today. Although the instruction appears in a different form, we in the contemporary church ought to show the same interest in these ancient petitions. Let us say it. If there were an on-the-spot examination of today's Christians, it would show that the majority of Christians are unenlightened in the great topics of the faith and should be enrolled in the ranks of catechumens. Alas, although they are baptized, they should become catechumens, soldiers that have to return to boot camp for training. For many Christians, this would mean starting with the ABCs of the faith. But let us examine the petitions for the catechumens. The first thing we ask for is that God have mercy on them. The mercy of God is called God's love for mankind, a love which is expressed in a number of blessings. We live in the sea of God's mercy. If God's mercy subsided, we would not live one moment more. All life depends on God's mercy. Do you doubt this? Think for a moment. The sun, the rivers and lakes, the seas, the trees, the air we breathe, all these are everything we need to live. They are not our own. They are the mercies of God, who, as Holy Scripture says, maketh the sun shine on bad and good people alike, and giveth rain to those who do right and those who do wrong. These things are the material blessings which God gives to all people. The one who blasphemes him day and night does not stop getting these gifts of God's love. The wind does not stop blowing for him, and the sun still sends its rays to light and warm him. Besides material blessings, however, there is another gift, incomparably superior to all the rest. This blessing is faith, faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. It is God's gift, which he gives not to everyone, but to those who wish to believe and live according to his will. O oh, faith! What could we do with all the riches and treasures of the world if we could not believe in Christ? Lord, give us thy mercy, give us faith, because this is thy most important blessing. The other three petitions are related to the first. When a person is blessed by God with the gift of faith, the ears of his soul open to hear divine teaching. 
the lessons of sacred catechism with joy and delight. The eyes of the soul open to see the great light, the gospel. All these spiritual gifts have their source in God. The Lord enlightens, teaches, and instructs. The Lord reveals mysteries, inspires love and harmony, and leads us to wonderful unity. Every effort to return sinners to repentance will fail unless the Lord sends His mercy into the soul. Without His help, we cannot succeed in anything spiritual or holy. That is why the petitions for the catechumens end with the words, Succor, save, comfort, and protect them, O God, by Thy grace. The prayer which the priest sends up silently is also similar to this. In the next homily, we will continue to speak about the catechumens. As we said before, we consider instruction more necessary in our modern church than it ever was in the ancient church. Infant Baptism Beloved, despite all we have said in previous sermons about the catechumens, we still have not exhausted the subject. For this reason, this sermon will also involve the same topic, which we consider to be one of the most important of our church. Our church's situation would be quite different if instruction were given today as it was given during the first centuries of the Christian church. Accordingly, let us see in more detail how instruction used to be given in the ancient church, the church of the first centuries of Christianity. As we have said before, the Christians of that period were few in number compared with the pagans. However, these few Christians constituted the light and salt of the world. Their presence was noticeable. Preaching, miracles, and most of all the holy life which the faithful lived both as individuals and as families attracted others to the faith. It was a time when the church did not lose, but rather gained, souls. When a pagan was attracted by the greatness of the Christian faith and life and revealed his desire to be baptized and become a Christian, a Christian who knew him would undertake the task of helping him. He would lead the pagan to the bishop, who would listen to the person who wished to become a Christian. He would find out whether the pagan had a sincere desire to become a Christian, whether he had decided to abandon the pagan life with all of its abominations. And if the bishop was convinced of his sincerity, he would order that his name be recorded on a special list, the list of the catechumens. From that day on, the catechumen would attend, along with other catechumens, certain lessons. These lessons were offered by both clergymen and laymen who were recognized for their learning, and especially for their holy way of living. Catechism was not an easy thing at that time. For pagan fanatics, who followed the movements of Christians, would attack them with great ferocity whenever the place where Christians gathered the catechumens for instruction was discovered. And there were cases in which the cruel persecutors would set fires and burn the catechumens who were gathered in catacombs or caves. These catechumens were baptized with the baptism of martyrdom before they could be baptized with the sanctified water of holy baptism. When the catechumens had been taught everything that they were supposed to learn, their teachers would lead them back to the bishop, and the bishop would recommend that they change their pagan names and adopt Christian ones, names to remind them of holy persons or of virtues. For example, Agapios from Agape, love. Elpidios from Elpis, hope. Irenaeus 
from Irenae. Peace. As you see, the early church attached great importance to a person's name. Yet certain people insist on giving their children names which have nothing to do with the glorious history of Christianity, or even the names of atheists and unbelievers who wage war and still wage war against Christianity. The names of Christians must be reminders of faith and virtue. When the pagan names had been replaced with Christian ones, the catechumens were prepared for baptism. Before baptism was performed, they were again taught lessons, lessons which were higher than the previous ones. These lessons were usually taught during Lent, the period of fasting before Pascha, and on Holy Saturday, the day before Pascha, which was the eve of the baptism of the catechumens. All who were to be baptized on the next day were led once more to the bishop. The bishop taught them a last lesson. At this last lesson, he used very moving words. He would tell them the end of their catechism had arrived, and that on the next day, when they would be baptized, they would leave forever the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Satan. He would tell them that they would have to hate the devil and that they would have to love Christ with a fervent heart. He would tell them that they would have to be prepared to honor the name of Christian, not only with good words and holy deeds, but also with their blood. In that way, they would be worthy to stand before the judgment seat of the divine judge on the fearsome day of judgment, and to hear the words, Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you since the foundation of the world. The following day, Pascha, was the brightest day in the lives of the catechumens. On this day, they would confess their faith before all the Christians and would be baptized and registered among the faithful in the registry books of the church. In this manner were catechism and baptism conducted in the church of the first Christians. Unfortunately, however, this system of instruction which brought forth so many wondrous fruits and revealed the church as vibrant and free, victorious against this world, became enfeebled with passage of time, and the day came when it was abolished completely. After St. Constantine the Great, when the new religion won out, many came forth to become Christians not because they believed in Christ, but rather because they wished to belong to the religion which prevailed as the religion of the state. These people were gathered together in rivers and lakes and were baptized by the thousands, without having been instructed, simply because they said that they wanted to become Christians. They would become Christians in name, but besides that, nothing would change in their lives. Such mass baptism occurred among the Slavs. Moreover, the custom which prevailed in the Orthodox Church, the custom of baptizing people as babies, which is called infant baptism, led to the complete abolition of instruction before baptism. Thus, there are only a few parents who instruct their children in the faith. Most parents are completely indifferent about the Christian upbringing of their children. In fact, there are not a few unbelieving and atheistic parents who mock the sacrament of baptism. My humble opinion is that the children of these people who have cut off all substantial contact with the church, should not be baptized as infants, but should rather be allowed to grow up and to freely make a decision regarding their religious beliefs. I think that the time has come when the church is compelled, by these circumstances, 
to return to the system of the early church, to the days of the catacombs. Our motto is, we seek a free and vibrant church.